the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kerry. Uh, good morning, everybody. For any visitors here, my name is Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here. Uh, delight to welcome you as we come into Lent, start a new preaching series. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we remember that you were filled with the Spirit at your baptism and then led into those 40 days of testing. We remember, too, that you came out in the power of your Spirit, ready for your ministry. And we pray for us as a church, as Juliet was praying earlier, that during this season of Lent, you would pour your Spirit out on us and you would prepare us for this next season of mission and ministry you have. And if there are things that need dealing with us in a church, as a church and as individuals, will you do that? So give us grace to follow you. And we pray now that you would speak to us. Reveal to us the lies the evil one speaks over us and give us grace to resist him. So speak and give us courage to follow. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, if you get the regular emails I send, or if you've been listening to other ways, you'll know that the book I'm recommending for the church to read, or actually, better than that, I'm asking you to read, is this book by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies. Uh, he could easily have called this uh, something like resisting the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's all about following Jesus and resisting the enemies that wage war on our soul. The devil, uh, we've already heard in the reading, we'll be thinking about today. The flesh is the sort of sinful part of our nature that just pulls against God, that thinks we know better. And the world is, the sense, the godless world, not all the good bit of the world that God's made, but the world that's godless, that's pulling in another direction. And the basic thesis of this book which is an ancient thesis, is that the devil lies to us. He tries to deceive us so we don't trust God or do what he said. 
And those lies pander to our sinful nature, our disordered desires. We're all skewed off uh, a bit. None of us is really wanting what God wants fully. That's the effect of sin. And then the world around us says that this is good. We should do this. And this combination of the lies and our sinful nature, our flesh, and the world around us urging us to go against God is a potent combination that wages war on our soul. And if we're going to follow Jesus effectively, we need to be aware of that. We need to put our trust in him. He is far greater. We don't need to worry. But a bit like if there's a river coming one way and we're trying to swim the other way, a little bit of swimming isn't enough to go against a big, t- a big current. And there's a big current in the world around us. The evil one is lying, adding into that. It appeals to our disordered nature. We need to do a bit more than just if we drift along, we'll be carried away. Uh, so I want to encourage you to read this book. It's very readable. There's, quite a bit, there's a bit more content in it than John Mark Comer's last books. They kind of read as he preaches, um, almost like a conversation. We have some copies on the bookstool. They should be £12, but we'll take a tenner if you'd like that for one day. And if you can't afford it, we'd much rather you had it. Just uh, say, I can't afford it. Please, can I have one? And that's fine. If that's a lie, that won't do you any good just to lie to us. So um, good luck to you on that one. Um, if you've got lots of money, if you've got 20 quid there in your pocket, just pay for someone else so they can have one. Anyway, you can get them online. They're not available in paperback yet, so they are about 12 quid. Um, there are study courses coming out. It's just been released. We were hoping it would be released earlier. It was released last week, a four-week study course that we're hoping our small groups will be able to do. Uh, but the study course is only four weeks on it, so you've kind of got a week to warm up. And this week's prayer meeting week on Tuesday anyway. Uh, so anyway, here endeth the advert. That's the book we're going to be referring to. And preaching three sermons on it, today focusing on the lies of the devil, Next week, we'll be thinking about the flesh, our sinful nature that pulls against God, the old nature, and in week three, about the world around us. Uh, but it's, all, it's that cocktail of things. The Book of Common Prayer talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil as an unholy alliance. When we baptize anyone, we say, fight against sin, the world, and the devil. It's the same idea, uh, that this is a war for our souls that is raging. Now, if we can put up John chapter 10, verse 10, as a, as a verse, uh, Jesus described the devil, said he comes to steal and kill and destroy. What we're seeing, the evil that Putin is inflicting on Ukraine, is a picture of what the devil wants to do to all of our souls, to destroy them. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is good. He's the giver of life. Uh, and we want to go his way. That's why we're here today. Uh, but it all starts with our thinking. The main way the devil gets at us is through our thinking, through telling lies. There are more dramatic, terrible ways of awful things that uh, he encourages people to do. But of course, that all starts with their thinking first as well. Uh, Now, let's just be very clear that the devil really exists. Jesus is very clear about that. The scriptures are very clear about that. The church fathers have been very clear about that. Christians down through history are clear about that, and I'm very clear about that. Uh, There are lies around that the devil doesn't really exist. Goodness me, where does all the evil come from if it doesn't come from the devil? Does it all come from God? Actually, believing in a devil does not add to our belief difficulty. If there isn't a devil then it's all could have come from God originally or from sin. Uh, But of course, God is good. Uh, 
Jesus is very clear there's a devil. And this story that we've had read of Jesus being tempted by the devil is formational and foundational. C.S. Lewis famously said years ago, there's two mistakes we can make about the devil. We either ignore him and underestimate him, or people tend to, at the other end of the extreme, to have an unhealthy interest. They're really into the occult and everything, and that is unhealthy too. And there are parts of the world that are really into all the sort of spiritual warfare as the biggest thing. Uh, but the Western world, by and large, ignores the devil. If it thinks about him, it treats him as a creature of fun with sort of horns and a tail telling you not to eat cream cakes, and, which is ridiculous. He is, the Bible is very clear, he is a powerful spiritual force. Nothing like as powerful as God. He's created uh, and God is infinite. So God is infinitely greater, but he is very real. C.S. Lewis said the devil's equally happy with a magician or a materialist. Either way, he's free to work. And we need to wake up. And uh, just preparing this sermon has sort of woken me up again. That this is going on. Uh, we live in two realms. If you've done our Living Free course, we did it a lot two, three, and four years ago. We need to do it again. Uh, how many here have just done the, have done the Living Free course, just out of interest? Sort of, yes, perhaps not quite half, so we need to do this again. But one of the key teachings in it is that we live in two realms. We live in a physical world, and we live in a spiritual world, and they intersect. Uh, now, we can see the physical world around us. We can't see... Uh, just to use an illustration, all the phone signals going through the building. We know they're going through this building. If we get out our phones and switch them on, and, uh, we, can, we can receive what's going on. But you can't see it. In the same way, our world is spiritual. There are forces of good, God supremely, and the angels he's created. There are forces of evil, the devil and his angels. We call them demons. And they are around, and we are caught up in a spiritual battle. And you are in that whether you like it or not, whether you... Uh, there must be some places in western Ukraine which are not actually, there's, there's no violence that's come there. It's the north, the east, and the south. And there must be some people just sort of wishing it didn't exist, going about their life as if it didn't exist. But it does. That country is at war. And in the west, there are vast swathes of the church ignoring the devil and the, and the spiritual battle. No wonder the church is in such a mess. We've got to take this seriously. Jesus did. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I'm really keen for us to read this book. It's not that it's particularly heavy. It's, it's written with a sort of a, a light touch. It just recognizes the stuff that we do believe, but we don't give enough attention to. We are in a spiritual battle. And if you're in uh, any doubt about that, listen up to what Paul said in Ephesians 6. I wondered about having two readings and getting Kerry to read two. Actually, I wondered about three. In fact, I wondered about not really preaching, just having Genesis 3 and Luke 4 and Ephesians 6 and having... Uh, and you can tell me afterwards whether you'd rather have that. But here is Ephesians 6. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes to them with th three themes. That the book, there's a great commentary on it by the old Chinese pastor, Watchman Nee, called Sit, Walk, Stand. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That is our status. We walk out our life with him in work, in marriage, in family, uh, in church. But then we have to stand against evil. And right at the end of Ephesians, after three chapters of sitting with Christ in the heavenly realms and two chapters of walking it out in daily life, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We don't fight against people. 
against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist. That's truth that resists the lies of the evil one, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, knowing our right relationship with God and making sure we're in right relationship with each other. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, ready to tell good news. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. They were sort of um, the, the big rectangular shields, like the Romans, that you could lock together, that the Romans made a sort of tortoise out of, or like police riot shields. We're meant to do this together, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one that are primarily lies. And the helmet of salvation, that protects our head, our thinking. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And so he goes on. There is no doubt, right throughout the Bible, there is a spiritual battle. It's not an optional extra for super-Christians. If you think you're not involved, uh, you're just taken out as a casualty and are ineffective in the kingdom of God. Uh, the devil exists. He's real. We don't need to be frightened because Jesus is far, far greater. Now, the main way he gets at us is through lies. God is a God of truth. And the devil wants to tempt us not to trust God and not to obey him. There are loads of terrible things he does, energizing war and persecution and demonization. All those things are real. But he starts off by getting at people through our thinking. And we need to have our thinking straight. That's why we take the scriptures so seriously. Church of England, one of the best things it did was change after the Bible was read from here endeth the reading to this is the word of the Lord, which it is. And we need to take it seriously. And as Jesus teaches that the devil is a liar, John 8, 44 says this. This is speaking to some of the unhealthy leaders in Jerusalem at the time. You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. That's how Jesus described the devil. Conversely, in the same chapter, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it says in the bricks above my head, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And he is the truth, and his word is truth. And when we submit to him and we take his truth seriously, the lies of the evil one don't need to have any effect on us. Uh, so let's think about the reading that Kerry read for us, this famous reading of Jesus in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. Jesus has just been baptised. He's heard the Father say, You are my son, my beloved son, and I'm well pleased with you. And the devil comes along and says, If you are the son of God, if you are, tell the stone to become bread, or if you are the other temptation." And he will sow that seed of doubt in your ear. If he did it to Jesus, he will do it to you and me. Call yourself a Christian and you do that. Oh, how deluded you must be. 
You really think God is your heavenly father? You really think Jesus has forgiven you? What planet are you on? Look at your life. What a mess it is. Of course you're not a proper Christian. Do you ever hear that voice in your ear? We do. We all hear it. He did it to Jesus, if you are the son of God. And he does it to you, if you are a Christian. He wants to doubt. He wants to cause us to doubt our identity in Christ. Now, there is nothing to do with us. We bow the knee to Jesus, Lord. He promises we're forgiven. He promises we're adopted into his family. It's his word is what we need to pay attention to, not looking at all the stuff we get wrong. The devil will attack your identity in Christ. And he'll try and get you to base your identity not on who you are in Christ, on God as your father, on the fact you're adopted in his family and you will live with him for all eternity, but to base your identity on something else. So the three temptations, turn stones into bread. This is base your identity on what you do, your performance. You are what you do. Gosh, how often do we introduce ourselves? Hello, what's your name? What do you do? Uh, a lot of my identity is bound up with being a vicar. Now, obviously, if, if that is too, too much of my identity, when I retire, I'm going to have an existential crisis. My identity it should be as being a child of God. And my job is the work Jesus has given to me to do is being a vicar. Or maybe the temptation is that you are what you have. The devil says, bow down to me, I'll give you all of this. Our world celebrates possessions and what you have. Our world thinks the more you have, the better. It values material possessions above all else. No, we have to leave it all behind when we go. Eternally, how much we have is irrelevant. Or maybe the temptation is what others think of you. Cast yourself down from the temple and then everyone will believe in you. Do something dramatic. Be a celebrity. We live in a celebrity culture. Uh, we live in a social media culture where people's identity is bound up with how many followers they have and whether they like the picture of the latest meal you had. For goodness sake, stop tweeting your pictures of meals and concentrate on the people you're having them with. It's not about what it looks like. It's not about what people think of you. But do you hear those temptations? You are what you do, you are what you have, you are what others think of you. It's the same old lies. And the root of them is to get us to not to believe we are who we are, children of a loving Heavenly Father. For every lie, there is a truth in Scripture. Uh, how about this one, John 1.12. To those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Or the same truth in 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is where our identity is. And instead of listening to the lies, we need to listen to the truth of Scripture. And this book by John Mark Comer is so good at just teasing out these lies and how we need to replace them with the truth of Scripture. Not only will the devil attack your identity, he'll try and attack God's call on your life. He's trying to stop Jesus dying for the sins of the world. Uh, he's trying to get him to go another route, be a celebrity, do, do anything else. And he will attack what God's called you to do. And if you think God hasn't called you to do anything, that is another lie. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, We are God's handiwork, his poetry, poema, the Greek word created in Christ Jesus to do God's work. God has made you with things for you to do. 
and God's prepared them in advance for us to do. And if you've heard that lie in your head that says, this is for everybody else, this isn't for you, that is from the pit of hell. It's a lie. And the truth is God's made you in his image. He's redeemed you. He's put his Holy Spirit in you. There's stuff he's got for you to do. Do you know what it is? Or are you just so busy keeping everybody else happy and pleased so they don't attack you that you're just going through life surviving? The pandemic has had an extraordinary effect on all of us. It has been utterly exhausting. We're all in different boats, but we've been in the same storm. And I'd sort of taken my eye off the ball. We've uh, praised the Lord. We've come through it as a church. It's still ongoing, obviously. We're learning to live with it. Uh, we're going to have to live with it a long time to come, I think, and with uncertainty in the world. But it's so easy to take your eye off the main thing, which is following Jesus, his way, we're in a spiritual battle. We need to extend his kingdom of love. And we just get down to managing and, and existing. God's made us with good things to do for him and his kingdom. And when we do them, there is no energy like it. If you've served in any way uh, where God's made you to, you come alive. There are people out there serving with our children and young people who it is such an energy to serve with if that's what God's called you to do. If you don't know what that is, that would be a really good thing to pray for during Lent. He will attack your identity. He will attack your call. He wants to spoil your relationship with God. He wants to destroy. He wants to rob. And it all comes with lies. Think back to the story of the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. We won't read this one as well today. But do you remember God has said to Adam and Eve, here's this beautiful garden. You can have all of that. It's all yours. Enjoy it all. Just don't eat the fruit from that tree over there. And the devil comes along and says, did God say you couldn't eat any of this? He's immediately casting doubt. Isn't God a spoil sport? He attacks God's word. That wasn't what God had said. He twists it. He attacks God's integrity. Oh, when you eat that, you won't die. Which, of course, they didn't die physically immediately, but they died spiritually. And physical death set in. Supremely, he attacks God's, spoils, God's goodness. God's a spoil sport. You take his word seriously, it'll really spoil your life. And if you really become a serious, wholehearted Christian, that'll really spoil your life. That is a lie. God has made you. God is the source of all goodness, all love, all joy, all peace. And the closer we get to him, the more we experience of his love, his joy, his peace. But the devil wants to stop us trusting that God is good. He makes you think there's a better way. Eve, why don't you look at that fruit? I'm sure it's going to be better. Look at it. Doesn't it look nice? Why don't you taste it? And the more she looks at it, the more she wants to taste it, the more it seems like a better idea. You know better than God. God's a spoil sport. Why don't you do what you feel like? And then how this plays out in our world. Gosh, since the 60s, the sexual revolution that's supposed to set people free, that's just led to tragic breakdown of marriages and families and divorces and isolation, and on it goes further and further and further away from God's intention in scriptures. Is our society happier? Are people more fulfilled? Is there less anxiety? Is there? Of course not. It's a lie. You'd go your way, you'll be fulfilled. No, we're made to know go God's way. And we need to do it his way. 
Um, an old illustration, apologies for those of you who've been here for many, many years. I haven't used this one for quite a long time, so for those of you new, this, is a, this will feel like a new one, but it's really an old one. My first day in Sunday school, I was four. Uh, we start our children off earlier here, that's much better, but we went to Sunday school once we went to school. Uh, grew up in a Christian family, we used to sing the Christian songs of the day, uh, back in the day, so we did, you know, Zacchaeus was a very little man and wide, wide as the ocean. We sang trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We went to Sunday school and the leader said, we're going to sing this song. And apparently I said, no, we're not, we're going to sing trust and obey. And for some extraordinary reason, we were allowed to sing trust and obey. And I got home and my mum said, how did you get on to Sunday school? I said, it was good. They did what I wanted. No, it was good. We sang trust and obey. And then I said, Mummy, what does obey mean? And she said, well, darling, it means doing what you're told. And apparently I said, hmm, don't like obey. And that was trust and obey, that great old hymn, is the heart of the Christian life. Do we trust that God is good and will we obey what he says? If we don't trust that he's good... Even though we know what he says, we probably won't do it. We probably think we know better. Know lots of people going through difficult things for whom the big issue is, is God good? And he is God good. He's never promised our comfort. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. He promises to make us more like Jesus and to use everything that happens to help us become more like Jesus. And for Jesus himself, Scripture said he had to learn obedience to his Father and he went through suffering and temptation, and he came out in the power of the Spirit. There's something of hanging in there, trusting God is good, obeying what he says, that as you hang in there through the difficult days, actually God does a deep work in you. You become far more the person you've made to be and far more useful. The key to the Christian life, trust that God is good and do what he says. So what's the devil want to do? He wants to lie and sow deception how many times in the New Testament they say, do not be deceived? He lies about who God is. He lies about who we are. He lies about what the good life is. Now, the really good news is that Jesus has defeated the devil. He didn't give in to his temptations in the wilderness, and he didn't come into the temptation to come down from the cross. Jesus died on that cross for our sin. He paid the price for yours and mine, and he rose again. He has ascended, he's glorified, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again one day, and the whole world will be renewed. So we need to look up above all that's going on, and we need to look ahead. Didn't we, on the news, we had every day for years it was Brexit, then every day for two years it's been coronavirus, and now every day it's all the Ukraine stuff. I mean, it's all terrible. If that's what you fill your mind with all the time, you're going to go down. It's just the, what we feel. We need to be aware of it. We need to live in this world. But please look up above it to the God who's made us, to Jesus who's coming again, that this world is not all there is, that that's a spiritual battle going on. Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars. What's unusual is the period of peace we've had in Europe. I mean, I thank God for it. But it is not normal. Jesus has defeated the devil. I love this verse from Hebrews 2.18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. 
Now, you might think, well, Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be tempted because he never sins, so he doesn't know what it's like. That's a lie. It's not a lie that he never sins, but it's a lie he doesn't know. If someone comes to mug you and wants your wallet and you give it over straight away, okay, you lose your wallet, but you get away with it. If you refuse to give it away and they completely do you over, who knows more about mugging? Jesus never gave in to temptation. He faced the full force of evil. He knows what it's like, and he is able to help. And we come to him. Is that another lie? God doesn't know what it's like to be you. Jesus, he made you, and Jesus is human. And at Easter, we will celebrate his resurrection and his defeat of evil. I love this from Paul to the Colossians. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins. He cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Didn't look like that physically, but in the spiritual realms, that's what happened. And that is truth for us to rely on. That was the key moment. It's an old illustration, but in the Second World War, the key moment of D-Day, from that point on, when the beachhead was established and the Allies started working through to the point where Germany was defeated and that horrible evil of Nazism was defeated. The key moment in history was the cross and resurrection, but we live like between D-Day and V-Day, or VJ day whichever you want to think, but between then and the end of the war. There's still a lot of battles. There will still be casualties. But the end is not in doubt. And we need to look ahead to that great day. You are united with Jesus if you've bowed the knee to him as your Lord. The baptism imagery of going down, dying to yourself and rising to new life with him. And so you don't need to be afraid. Whatever's going on. Psalm 23, the most famous psalm of all. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What's the lie the evil one whispers? You can't feel God with you, so he's not. You're on your own. It's a lie. The truth is that he is with me. And we hold on to that truth by faith. Even if I can't feel you, Lord, I know you are here. In other words, that old hymn, oh, let me feel you near me. We want to, we want to, to know him. But even if we don't feel it, we're going to trust So how do we enter into this victory over evil? Well, Jesus, in Luke 4, answered each temptation with Scripture. He didn't negotiate with the devil. He didn't think, oh, you've got a point there. I wonder how it might work out. He answered with Scripture. And if you've got a Bible in front of you with little footnotes, you see that they're all, they are, man shall not live by bread alone, and so on. All three answers came from Deuteronomy 6 to 8. Now, Jesus did not have an iPhone with the Bible on it, nor did he have something neat like this Bible, whacking great scrolls in the temple that he'd been and he'd read and he'd learnt. And he'd clearly been reading Deuteronomy about Israel in the wilderness. As he went to the wilderness, he's meditating on it. All three answers of Scripture that he answers the evil one with come from there. I love this. Whatever part of the Bible you're meditating on, God seems to use and speak to you and he can bring it back to your mind. But for every lie you've believed, there is truth in Scripture. When we pray in a minute, I'm going to ask the Lord to reveal to you a lie you're believing. He may do it now or it may come in the days ahead. 
And I'm going to ask him to reveal a scripture to you to hold on to when you hear that lie. And he may reveal it to some of you. Uh, others might want to in their small groups or prayer triplets to say, well, this is the lie I believe in. What scripture is there? Very happy for you to test me on the way out. About, well, I've got this lie in my head. What scripture is there? And if I, if I can't think of one, I'll find one and get back to you. Because this is how we deal with it. We hold on to truth. And if you've never started reading the scriptures day by day, please do. This is how we fight the lies and deception of the evil one. And we change our mind. Do you know what the word repentance literally means? It's not change your behavior. It's change your mind. The Greek word metanoia. Noia from where we get our nous. You, you, you change your nous. You change your thinking from instead of believing the lies the evil one has told to believing the truth. So for that to happen, we need to recognize the lie. We repent of believing it. We rebuke the evil one and say, get behind me, Satan. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit to live it out and we replace it with the truth. So what's that lie in your head? Oh, finances are difficult, aren't they? You can't afford to give. Just why don't you give what's left at the end of the month? Of course, there won't be anything left. God says, honor him with the first fruits, the first 10%. Only one way to find out if that's true or not, and that's to do it. Uh, the truth is, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'll follow his way. I have to trust him. Marriage is difficult. Even when you're married to someone as wonderful as Juliet. So um, my preaching line is that I find marriage difficult because I'm selfish and Juliet finds marriage difficult because I'm selfish. But that, actually, the truth is that we've, uh, you know, marriage is difficult. And there are difficult days in it. You come and go. But what's the lie of the evil one? Oh, this isn't working, is it? You might as well give up. Why don't you find someone who really gets you and listens to you? It's a complete lie. The grass may look greener on the other side of the fence, but it's greener where you water it. And the truth is that God said, husbands love your wives, wives love your husbands. Don't, there may be some couple here today for whom that is a word of the Lord. Don't give in to that lie of the evil one. Uh, what's the lie? I, if only I had that. If I bought that thing, I'd be happy. What nonsense is that? But the adverts, they work, don't they? They tempt us to want stuff we don't need and to pay for it with money we haven't got to impress people we don't like and we think we'll be happy and of course we're not the truth is the bible says be content with what you have because god has said i will never leave you nor forsake you now i could go on all day some of you think i already am that there are these lies and we replace them with truth and i want to, we've got some time before the children need to be collected from their groups so it'd be really good to pray we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what lies we are believing. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of scriptures to us and to give us courage to trust God and to live it out. We need each other. If you're on your own as a Christian, uh, you get easily picked off. Perhaps this is a word to some of you who haven't yet come back to church. Some of you I know are very unwell and can't get here physically. But if you can... The Bible says, do not stop meeting together. The lie of the evil one is, oh, well, you're busy. Why don't you just wait another week or wait until you've done that or wait until that? And with that lie, you'll never come back. Why not see if the Lord's saying to you, it's time to come back. We need each other. We need God's Holy Spirit. We need, but Jesus is far greater. He's infinite. The devil's finite.
and we don't need to fear. So let's stand, and if the band would come back ready to lead us in song in a bit, but we can have a little leisurely time of prayer. Um, I know this is relevant to every single person here, so we're not going to rush. There'll be the usual prayer ministry after the service if there's something specific you want to pray about. But I'm really keen we just take time. Juliette and I have been away at the New Wine Leaders this week. Oh, it was so good to be together again, but it was so good just to be prayed for. I'm usually up front, as you know, but to, to be able to come forward for prayer and have people pray for me, it is just so good. Uh, Lord God, our Father, you are good. You've made this world which is so beautiful. You've made us in your own image to know you. And we've gone our own way. We've sinned. We've rebelled. We've spoilt your world. We've listened to the lies of the evil one. And we live in a society that says, disobeying your word is good. Forgive us. Have mercy on us. But what we most pray for ourselves individually, for our church family at St. Paul's, for your church in the West as a whole, is come Holy Spirit and reveal the truth to us. Reveal the truth of who you are, your goodness. Reveal the lies of the evil one. And give us courage to follow you. So come Holy Spirit. Let's just be still. <laughs>